Hello and welcome to the Brain Care Podcast, a practical and impactful series of snappy episodes on how to optimize your mental health and performance so you can reach your full potential. My name is Dan Murray-Serta, and I'm the co-founder at Heights. We make smart supplements and clever content with the world's leading experts to help you take care of your brain so it can take care of you. I am joined today on the Brain Care Podcast by Maya Goodker, who I had the pleasure of of stumbling into uh, in Clubhouse, actually, for the first time. I would say that I've bumped into someone who uh, joined a conversation and had so much more to give uh, than either myself or the actual guest, which in this case was Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, who has been uh, a very common and popular guest on this show as well. So that is quite saying something, which I don't want to set her up with too much pressure, but that should give a good set of context as to why uh, Maya is going to be such an excellent guest today to discuss social media and its effects on our mental health, both good and bad, but actually uh, you'll be pleased to know a little bit more positive than negative. So Maya, can you give some background to who you are, the context of why you even got into this and, uh, and, and why you're dedicating your time to this right now? Yeah, sure. Hi, great to be here. So I wear a few different hats. I am an executive coach. And so I work with businesses. I work a lot with London Business School and I coach their executives uh, on a range of areas, things from their career development, building their profile internally, externally, working with the system they're part of. So that's one of my hats, executive coach. The other is that I'm a researcher, so I also research with London Business School. There I research leadership development, but I'm also uh, researching positive psychology and I support, uh, supervise research in positive psychology. And that's where my research has sort of come about in this positive social media space. And then the third hat that I'm wearing is as a co-founder to a coaching platform, which is called Wondersource. Positive psychology was probably my first step into the foray of my entire business, uh, a new new category of my life. I went to, I was in a period where I had just failed my last company and was taking some time off and thinking about what to do. And a friend of mine, um, Azim Azar, uh, very randomly messaged me to say, there's a conference on in London, I know you're not doing anything today, around positive psychology there's this guy, Martin Seligman, maybe you'll like it, go do it. And I was like, don't know who he is, don't know what this is. But I literally was in that moment in my life where I was like listening to signs. And so I went and it was brilliant. And obviously at the time I was like, who is this stuffy old git Martin Seligman? Obviously since then realizing how ridiculously rare it is to actually go and see him live for a couple of hours, it was amazing. But it was funny because he is literally so grumpy and so not the representation of positive psychology, but at least he's aware of it, right? Yeah. And then and then I, I went and studied his online course at positive psychology uh, at University of Pennsylvania. And that was the first thing that I did um, to get into this world whatsoever. So I'm a big fan. That is brilliant. And UPenn is definitely that first starter in it, isn't it? And we always sort of reference back to them. And who is Martin Seligman? Only the founding father of positive psychology. So what a great introduction you got there. Yeah, I know. I know. The first time ever, right? Like literally from him. So, okay, that was great context for who you are. Why are you interested in this topic? What's drawn you to this? 
Yeah, I think it's a few different things. So first of all, just coaching executives. And, you know, as I was saying, we often work on their internal profile, their relationships, how to really get things done inside organizations. And, you know, today that is a one-sided conversation if you only include offline interactions. And so we would get into that topic of, okay, well, what are you, what are you doing to build your profile virtually? And we talk about LinkedIn and they tell me, mm, yeah, but I feel a bit, mm. and you'd realize that there were actually just some very simple emotional barriers they would have to engaging, you know, on a particular platform. And I thought there's something here. I then myself came to this. So we would work on that. They'd come back to me and they'd say things like, oh, I just posted it and I I was so surprised. People loved it and oh gosh, and now these guys have approached me and you could see that there was just such a simple switch that needed to be explored, but it needed to be explored. It couldn't, it wouldn't have just happened without a proper coaching conversation around it. Separately, I then went from being a full-time, lifetime type of employee person to an independent. And, you know, when you are an employee, you do have an identity, you do have a reference frame, when you're independent, you know, who, who is your reference frame? And I think you started, sort of are confronted with social media as one way to generate that. And I personally found that quite disconcerting. And I had a coach at the time, and I remember working with her on some of my feelings about, in some ways it felt a bit like, wow, I built this whole career that I'm really proud of, was a young director, all this good stuff. And it almost felt meaningless online. It was almost like, should I have just been sitting around on Instagram for the last five years and my my career might be more sort of, you know, recognizably successful. So I, I personally went through that journey, but then having overcome some of those, I noticed that really great opportunities came to me. So I met my co-founder who, you know, physically we've, we've barely met in person, but I would never have met her if it wasn't for social media and lots of other great things. So I noticed the benefit of actually reflecting on my own emotional sort of response. And then that drew me. So one day I was just sitting there and I, I, as I said, I do research and I suddenly thought positive psychology, this is full of frameworks that really outline flourishing in a systematic and evidence-based way. Why is this not being applied to this well-being issue of digital well-being and in particular I wanted to zone in on this what I think is a very recent phenomenon of social media that operates in different ways so that's that's kind of what initially drew drew me to the topic okay now as I understand it you started researching this almost coincidentally right at the start of the pandemic so it's a really unusual time because I guess I'm assuming the data that you have to work in it predominantly relates to the old world Yeah, that's true. So there's always a time lag with research. And so I definitely am aware of that time lag and that I was engaging with this at a time when things were rapidly changing. I mean, the the, the basic stats, you know, sort of this time a year ago, it was only, it was more like 40%, 40, 45% of the world use social media. You know, the fact that that's gone up to 54%, you can see that there has been a big jump. So the usage of social media, I was starting to hear a lot of stories about how social media was impacting people. So, you know, grandmas who were suddenly being part of local Facebook groups that provided them with a lot of support. So it seemed like it was almost social media was having its day. You know, it was finally, it's like, look, this is, you know, there's always a backstory about its impact on mental health. Most of us are familiar with that. But look here, it's a really useful tool now. And so that's great. But that also amplifies, amplifies what's good, but it also amplifies what's not good. And those things don't go away. Those things that can impact mental health don't go away. And so given that so many people are engaging on social media, 
what is there by way of positive strategies to do it well? That was what sort of still emerged as a sort of perennial question. And I think that will be, you know, sometimes amplified because of the circumstances or it might be reduced, but those questions will remain and it will remain despite, you know, which platform, you know, you're talking about. So I wanted to look across platforms because I wanted to draw those insights that could be sort of the perennial insights, I guess. And at a really high level, because I think we're going to get into the deep data dive into the next episode, but at a high level, um, and also just to give us some hope, what did you discover? And were you surprised? Yeah, I was really surprised, actually. So I came to it from a starting point, which was that everyone knows about the negative mental health. There's a lot of noise around that. There's even been these documentaries like The Social Dilemma. So it's really the public awareness of this has been raised. There are a lot of research papers also around that, linking it to depression, linking it to anxiety. And I and I said, look, let me just look for that little pocket, you know, that might be showing something good. And I'm going to do a systematic review. So I'm going to, you know, then review all of those papers. And let me tell you, I was shocked because I ended up with in my initial search yielded 200 results. And, you know, I was like, just me wasn't really planning to review that many papers. But, you know, it was a positive sign that this is a growing area. So there is this. And I think what often happens is that people set out to sort of prove a negative relationship and they were uncovering that that wasn't the case or even that there was a positive effect. And so I think it was really surprising to me that there was that much research already out there in peer reviewed journals that, you know, met the criteria for me to be able to analyze. So that was definitely a surprise. And it just takes me back to that starting point. I never wanted to say I'm going to prove that social media is good or prove that it's bad. It's more what is the research and what is that body? What is that lens that we can apply to then constructive approaches? And how have, like, how have you actually been using what you've been learning throughout the last year to influence not just your own work, but the work that you do with your with your students? So with my coaches, this is always a running theme because the minute we're talking about systems, the minute we're talking about relational, how you improve your relationships, how you improve your profile, how you improve your identity, your working identity, that's always there. So particularly when I've got, because I get a lot of clients or arguably all of my clients are in some form of work transition because they are perhaps moving to a next leadership position or they're looking beyond, they're looking at, you know, what might be next. They're questioning what they do. And for those transitions, it's been particularly useful because often transition takes a long time. It's a slow process. But being able to use the social media proactively can really help people start to shift their identity, start to engage with groups that can actually be, you know, really relevant industry contacts. Um, They can start to establish their pockets of expertise and find audiences for them. So on that front, I've, I've really enjoyed being able to bring more of that with the clients. But I always make sure that we have that conversation about the well-being impacts and the psychological impacts, because sometimes those are the things that are holding them back. And so, for example, one of the research papers compared platforms and it showed that LinkedIn is the worst for social comparison and Twitter's the best. And having that kind of knowledge and awareness is really useful, right? Because no wonder my executive clients were struggling with the platform which they thought they needed to be engaging on because it was the one that elicited the most negative feelings. What 
is your uh, favourite bit of research that you've uncovered? So you've just dropped one nugget. So to tempt us into another another episode on the same topic, what is uh, a good surprising fact that you've uncovered that you have uh, particularly enjoyed sharing with other people? What I've had a lot of fun with is social comparison because this is such a big area in this space and I found so many papers on it. What I loved is deconstructing social comparison and what I love finding was that there's lots of different types of comparison. So there's not just, you know, me, I'm going to compare my abilities to somebody else. There's opinion-based comparison. There's upward comparison and downward comparison. These elicit different feelings. And so I love the idea that you can really unpack this thing that is so pivotal to well-being, and use the good bits and harness those. And that to me is offering a constructive route rather than what I consider quite negative messaging. And I do see it. I see it on social media. Don't compare, which is not helpful because some of us have high comparison orientation. And if you have that, then seeing those messages is not going to stop you. But knowing, you know, that there are different ways to approach it and different sort of components to it, to me is really hopeful. And before you do go, before you get into, you know, the, the, the detail and stuff into the next episode, what are the top three tips that you would share with people about how to frame their use of social media and in a positive well-being way, just like Martin Seligman would want you to do? I would say the first one is use it and don't let it use you. So that is really think about the time that you spend on it and try and optimize. Don't say I'm not going to use it, but use it at a time that is appropriate for you. Number two, spend 30 seconds jotting down. If you weren't allowed on any platforms ever again, what would you miss out on? Because that's an indication as to the needs that it satisfies for you. And then you can be really intentional about satisfying those needs rather than getting distracted. And number three is thinking about different platforms for different purposes. So they have different features, they elicit different emotions, they serve different purposes. What do you like about them? And so how are you going to use them differently? Love it. Thank you so much, Maya. It's been a pleasure. Looking forward to chatting to you again. Yeah, great talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Brain Care Podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and follow us at Your Heights on Instagram and Twitter for daily doses of brain care. If you want to know more about how well you're feeding your brain, you can head to yourheights.com forward slash brain food to get your free score from 1 to 100 and start taking action from there. See you next week. Mm-hmm.